Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This time, on to Warren back. So I put this gun to my head, and my thought was, why don't I want to stop? Because there should be an element of self-preservation here somewhere. And then it dawned on me, I don't want to die. The drugs want me to die. He said, I got to tell you something that I've never told you before. You literally saved my life. He said, I was 24 hours away from taking my own life. It was so bad at Walter Reed. Especially if you are that veteran that's struggling, go out and find a new community. Like, it replaces that brotherhood that you might be missing. You know, it gives you, you know, a new sense of friendship and relationships of men and women that are going to stand to your left and your right and defend you and help you and encourage you to do more, be better, be faster. Welcome back. I'm Phil Briggs, a journalist and a Navy veteran. And this is the story of three American combat vets. U.S. Marine Corps Sergeant Kirstie Ennis, U.S. Marine Corps Major Scott Husing, and U.S. Army Sergeant Boone Cutler. While being treated at Walter Reed Medical Center for physical injuries, a traumatic brain injury, and PTSD, Boone Cutler was given drugs. A lot of drugs. A chemical cocktail so strong that he was basically fucked up for two years, stuck in a fog, and ready to break out by killing himself. I sat across a large table from Gene Lumsden and his wife, Kathy, in their beautiful home near Reno, Nevada, where Gene continued to tell me more about how he brought Boone home. Boone had been with us six months, seven months, eight months, something like that. And uh, one day he walked into my office and he says, hey, he said, uh, let's go for a walk. I said, okay. So we're walking and we're talking and he goes, uh, he said, I got to tell you something that I've never told you before. He said, you literally saved my life. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you saved my life. He said, I was 24 hours away from taking my own life. It was so bad at Walter Reed. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And that's when everything really came to light for me that uh, we were just lucky to have made the decision when we did because uh, Boone may not be with us today if that decision hadn't been made at that time. It almost makes you think in the big picture how divine life can be. I mean, how you know, I'll speak from my heart and say that, you know, how God can literally sure. exactly. make Divine things, can just make things happen and put people in your path. I mean, seeding his path, even with mm-hmm. years previous experience with a good straight shooter boss mm-hmm. that appreciated his uh, style and, uh, you know, didn't mind him uh, catching the guys that stole the boots. No. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, um, how that was just preceded. Yep. How that was 
destiny almost. It was. To I mean, have you there? Yeah, exactly. And uh, like I said, it was. Uh, it really opened my eyes because I just had no idea that he was that close because of what was going on at Walter Reed. And I have to say this. I cannot believe that our government would allow things like that to go on without somebody stepping in to correct the problem. Now, I don't care if you're president of the United States. I don't care if you own a company. The bottom line is you have the right to walk in and say, we need to change this right away. Mm-hmm. And no one ever did it. A lot of lip service, but no one ever did it. And I'm not convinced it's happening today, meaning our wounded soldiers are being treated the way they should be at Walter Reed and some of the other places. Once Boone was out of the hospital, he would start to heal. But pain meds, a reality for so many combat vets, still had a grip on him. Each week, as you were working with Gene, could you see the fog lifting? Could you feel yourself coming out of it? I know it didn't all happen one day, one time, the light just came on. But I was still, I was still dealing with a lot of suicidal ideation, a ton. Uh, it, was, it was a daily thing. I was still on the drugs. You know, Gene gave me a way out of the hospital, but I hadn't taken a way out of the drugs yet. And that suicidal ideation, I, I'm 100% convinced that uh, – 90% of it was the drugs. And um, this whole you're never out of the fight thing, you don't know what's going to happen to the next day, that, these are all realizations that have come over time. I, I really couldn't see it in the moment. You know, you got to look back from a from the 30,000-foot view to really get this. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we're telling the story, obviously. So people, when they're at the one-foot level, they realize there is a 30,000-foot level. And I was still dealing with a lot of suicidal ideation. And what, what really stopped it after that was I reached up in the closet, I put a gun to my head, uh, and I was just going to kill myself. At, the, at that point, there was really, there was no plan, you know, that the whole operations order and executing a plan by a certain date, that was behind me. It was just a constant battle to not want to kill myself. Um, and that's because of the medications. And so I put this gun to my head, and my thought was, why don't I want to stop? You know, I'm a pretty intellectual guy, you know, and like, why don't I want to stop? Because there should be an element of self-preservation here somewhere. And then it dawned on me, well, what, why isn't there? And I was like, I don't want to die. The drugs want me to die. And that was the realization of, okay, this is the next piece of the puzzle. This is interesting. Let's figure this out. It wasn't long after that. I checked myself into the VA and I said, you know, I'm not taking any of the drugs. And they say, you have to. I mean, literally, here we go again. You know, here we go again. They're like, well, you have to. Like, no, I don't. Like, no, you have to. You're going to go crazy was basically the sentiment. And I was like, cool, let's go crazy. The door's locked. I can't get out. Let's go crazy. If I'm going to go crazy, this is the place to do it. Let's go crazy. So I stopped all the drugs. And in 17 days, I was off all the drugs and I was better. 
uh, I, I didn't have that that constant draw to suicide or violence or, or things like that. I was just flat out better. I still couldn't sleep. I still had chronic pain. I still had those things, and I had to figure out how to deal with those things off of the, the, the medical paradigm I had been put on. And you were dealing with Parkinson's. And I was dealing with undiagnosed Parkinson's at the same time. Jesus. And so, and, and again, people don't understand the psychological aspect of that. And something I've never spoke about, um, I never spoke about, but I think it's, it's important in the, in this context, not only did I had Parkinson's, but my TBI also had resulted in dementia. And so I was dealing with the effects of dementia. I was dealing with the effects of, you know, the physical and psychological effects of Parkinson's. And when I talk to it, there should be a campaign out there called resulting in what? And I've talked about this publicly. A lot of guys say, oh, I have TBI. I have TBI. I have TBI. I hear it all the time. And I say, okay, resulting in what? And they all go, huh? They, they don't even know because it's not there. They haven't been explained. I found out through a long, long road that my TBI, traumatic brain injury, every traumatic brain injury results in something results in a condition. Nobody knows what conditions they have. Someone just told them, Oh, you have TBI and they signed it off and I went, okay, well, I know what's wrong. I have TBI. No, you have TBI that results in dementia. You have TBI that results in sleep, in central sleep apnea. You have TBI that results in Parkinson's. You don't just have TBI. It's like saying someone has cancer. Oh, you have cancer. Okay. Thanks. But, you know, there's a big difference between skin cancer on your forehead and pancreatic cancer. You can't just say someone has cancer. It's not a single domino. No. The, it, it knocks another one down that could knock another one down. I mean, it, it's chain reaction. And the re- I think a lot of the reason uh, guys kill themselves is, one, they don't understand that their traumatic brain injury resulted in something for which there is care for. And for which there is a way to intellectualize your, your condition, which will make you better. It's not just this black cloud called TBI and, by the way, you're screwed. It's not that. You know, it's not, it's just not, it's not, it's not like, hey, you have cancer, so we're going to give you vitamin C. Regardless of whether your cancer is, you just get vitamin, you know, whatever. You know, it's, and I don't understand why nobody applies this. And they haven't because I'm talking to you, I'm looking at your face going, aha, that makes so much sense. But it's never brought up. Nobody knows what their TBI has resulted in. And because of that, they go nuts and they kill themselves. Double down with a little bit of PTSD and it ain't hard. Double down again with already knowing what it's like to kill people and not have to deal with the effects of the death. It ain't that hard. Throw some drugs on top of it. Baby, it's over. So Boone got off the pills, but his journey with drugs didn't end there. I was plenty rebellious, but drugs just were never my thing. You know, I like to train. You didn't grow up a stoner. I did not grow up a stoner. I like to train. I like to work out. You know, I I just saw that as something that would get in the way of that and it wasn't my thing, you know? And so it just really didn't dawn on me. I got off, I got out of the hospital those 17 days. I was off of the drugs. I was still doing chronic pain. I was still doing with, with insomnia. And, um, for the chronic pain, admittedly, I stayed on the opiates, but I was off the psych meds. I didn't know how to get off the opiates, but because there was someone who came to me and said, Hey, you look like hell. And I said, yeah, I can't sleep. It was like a coworker or something. It was a coworker. It's like a teenage coworker. Okay. Dude, Uh, you look like shit, Boone. It's just like that. Dude, you look like hell, man. What's up? Just like that. And I was like, I can't sleep. And he says, 
dude, why don't you just smoke pot? Literally, that's a quote. Dude, why don't you just smoke pot? Simple as hell. And I was like, dude, just get away. I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not a pot guy. I'm not a stoner. I don't get high. You know, just like whatever, you know, get away from me. That night, I didn't sleep again. But I had the opportunity to review and go, what haven't I tried? I've done every drug, every modality. I've, I've got up in the morning and watched the sunrise to set my circadian rhythm. I've watched the sun go down to establish my circadian. I mean, I've done every holistic. I've, I've tried everything. I just flat out can't sleep. I go to sleep. It's either it's night sweats, it's explosions, it's insomnia, it's, it's really bad visuals. I'm not doing it. I'm just closing my eyes and it happens. I would literally lay in bed, get exploded, and be bounced out of the bed. I have no idea how a human body laying in a prone position or a supine position can elevate off of a bed. I don't know how that happens, but I know what was happening in my mind. I got blown up, and this would happen every night. It, never, it just did not stop. It did not stop. I used cannabis. I realized a couple things. One, I can't obsess about a thought. So that whole obsessing, you know, thought comes in, intrusive thought happens. Intrusive thought happens, intrusive thought, gone. It was no longer an obsessive thought. Okay? It calmed me down. It put me to sleep. I wasn't getting exploded. If I did get exploded, I didn't obsess about it. I could go back to sleep. I slept five hours first night. I thought it must be a fluke. How I got the cannabis is after I reviewed my life, I went to him the next day. I said, okay, give me some weed. That night, I slept five hours. It must be a fluke. There's no way this could happen again. Next night, I went to sleep, slept five hours again. I hadn't slept five straight hours in five years at that point. Talk about the emotional effects on the, on the human brain. Oh, yeah. It's a big deal. So now it happened twice. And my whole thought was, this is, I have been lied to. I have been so lied to. It has almost cost me everything, my life and more several times over a number of years. I have been so lied to. And it didn't take a psychiatrist or a major or uh, a brain surgeon. It took somebody saying, dude, <laughs> dude, why don't you smoke pot? And that was it. What was the regimen like afterward then? Was it? Uh, it was opiates during the daytime, pot at night. And the thing about the opiates is it always increases. And that went on for another couple years. And then CBD came out. And everybody's talking about CBD. And I was like, oh, CBD, what? You know, okay. Isn't that the Charlie Daniels band? Oh, wait, that's CD, <laughs> CBD. Okay. CDB. The devil went down to Georgia. Yeah, okay. So I didn't even know what CDB was. And, um, Someone gave me a vape pen with CBD and I hit that vape pen and it was like a 20 to one uh, CBD to cannabis is Ringo's gift. And I was like, Ooh, I don't have any pain. Oh, okay. Well let's, let's try this. And I walked off the opiates. I had no opiates. Now you keep in mind, I was taking, you know, 90 milligrams of morphine, 70 milligrams of Oxycontin every day. That's a tremendous amount of opiates. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, I mean, it would kill an elephant and that's what I was on every day. And, um, and I always said, you know, give me something to help me with the chronic pain. I'll, I'll stop taking opiates. 
as soon as I found something, walked off the opiates. Now, I detoxed several, 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 because you have to. If you're on opiates a lot, you have to go through a detox process and then come back on them for them to work. So I'd been through dope. I've been dope sick dozens of times. I know how to deal with that. I can, I can go down to Walmart right now. I know exactly what to buy to minimize the effects to get through the detox. And then I always tried to stay off of them, but there's always that point. I think I say everybody, anybody can deal with the worst pain. It always depends on for how long because you have a breaking point. And so I, I walked off the opiates with CBD. And then they came out with industrial strength or uh, industrial hemp CBD that only had the 0.3% THC. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Tried that. I still controlled my pain. Wow. And then it was like, okay, well, every now and then if I had really hardcore migraine, I'd, I'd go back to the cannabis, knocks it right out. And, uh, but I couldn't use cannabis and be out in life. I'm not a guy who can use cannabis and, you know, go do the grocery store, work on the car, hang. I'm just, I'm, I just can't do that. I don't, I don't like it. I'm, it's not, it doesn't work for me. Well, I mean, you didn't grow up a stoner. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not your game. It's not, it's not my thing. And I like to be able to converse with people and make sure I know what I'm conversing about. And in all honesty, cannabis affects that. And so it's not my thing. It's just go to sleep. That's my thing with that. And so I go through this whole, this whole thing, this whole trend, this whole journey and it ends up cannabis. Let anybody challenge me. Okay. I am, I now use a non-addictive substance that cannot stop my breathing and is completely non-toxic to humans. It's safer than grapes. But all the other stuff they had me on, all of it addictive, all of it toxic, all of it can stop your breathing in the middle of the night. But that's okay and cannabinoids aren't? What's wrong with this picture? Where's the pragmatism in the solution? Boone leaned on cannabis to help keep his head from spiraling into the dark place where suicide seemed like the only answer. That's something he has in common with our other veteran, Kirstie Ennis. I looked out the window from Kirstie's house and it was starting to snow. And we started talking about what she does to stay right. If you can't do it for yourself, there's a lot of other people believing in you, whether you realize it or not. So if you can't do it for yourself, you need to do it for the people around you. Yeah. There's a paradigm shift or like a change in perspective, I think that's necessary for a lot of warfighters. And this is, look at me, having an opinion on shit I have never <laughs> experienced. But there's something I see in the ones that are hard chargers that are really living right, that is a very common denominator between all y'all. And it's this, they've changed their self-definition from being just Marine or just 101st Airborne or just, you know, kicking in doors or just soldier, sailor, airman. They, they change it and they come full circle when they start saying, I'm also a kick-ass dad, me and my swagger wagon. And I can park at Home Depot with both kids and I can be in and out in 15 minutes. And let me tell you, I'm proud of that. <laughs> that actually happened last weekend. Um, find your swag, find your, find your definition. Is that what got you into snowboarding? Trying to like redefine yourself and say, okay, I was Ennis. I was a badass sergeant door gunner, but now I'm going to be something else and I'm going to be badass. 
<laughs> so the reality of snowboarding was I was just over being in the hospital and conveniently an organization walks in and says, Hey, do you want to learn a winter sport? And originally being from Florida, I don't know anything about winter or <laughs> snow. Um, so at the time I was just like, yeah. take me, <laughs> get me out of here. Um, but that was my introduction to snowboarding. Originally, all I was clear to do was sit ski medically. But when I showed up here in Colorado to learn this sit skiing thing, nobody asked me for a medical clearance. So I was just watching people, you know, bomb around the mountains and decided that snowboarding was the cool one. So I wanted to snowboard. But in saying that, um, snowboarding was, it was the, the thing that truly gave me my confidence. Like, it, I mean, it showed me that I can do anything physically, that, that doing a sport, again, that no one can do for me, it is 100% like my skill set. I'm self-reliant and I'm independent. Like, it was so symbolic of everything else in my life that it gave me the confidence that I could go forth and find a new career or do something new in school or whatever, be a badass in something else, like you said. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Yeah. Like I fell into snowboarding very ironically, uh, strangely, but it did, it really changed my life. And I, I urge everybody to try something new, just go find something. I mean, I don't care if it's simple, but so far out of your wheelhouse, right. because the moment you have that courage, a to try, you're going to come out with a whole new sense of pride, but also confidence. And it shows too. I mean, like people, people get around it. And when you're around snowboarders or around surfers or around people that are doing whatever it is, activity, rodeo, horseback riding, you know, whatever way, when you're around the people in that club, they love it when you start to catch fire. They love it when you get the, when you get the bug, you know, that, uh, what was that scene from point break? Remember when like, <laughs> when, when like Keanu Reeves finally figures out like that surfing is more than just like being out there chasing bad guys, or it's more than just, you know, trying to look cool, but it's a thing. It gets inside your soul and people love to stoke that. And I imagine when especially around here. Yeah. These snowboard yeah. dudes. Oh my God. I imagine the guys and the Bettys up on the mountain were like, dude, she gets it. She's so into it. Come with us. We're going black diamonds. Well, well, okay. So to piggyback off of that, but like, I think too, like, especially if you are that veteran that's struggling or hack the civilian or whoever, like go ahead and find a new community. Like, is it uncomfortable and awkward at first to go out and throw yourself, you know, in, in a sense, very, it's, you have to make yourself vulnerable to do it, but like to throw yourself into a community, like it replaces that brotherhood that you might be missing. You know, it gives you, you know, a, a new sense of friendship and relationships of men and women that are going to stand to your left and your right and defend you and help you and, you know, encourage you to do more, be better, be faster. Why wait? Binge all episodes now exclusively on the radio.com app. Or get this week's episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. On behalf of the production team here at To War and Back, I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode. And before we get into the next one, I wanted to share just a couple really heartfelt things. Specifically, I want to share with you three organizations that are doing incredible things for veterans. There's the Kirstie Ennis Foundation, a nonprofit that she founded to support deserving organizations and help improve the quality of life of veterans. Whether it's funding to help a veteran business expand or whether it's taking veterans outside to experience firsthand the healing powers of Mother Nature, supporting the Kirstie Ennis Foundation is supporting veterans. Major Scott Husing and the Save the Brave organization has a simple philosophy. There's no pill, no prescription, and no vaccination that can cure the effects of PTS better than connecting with fellow vets. That's why when you donate to SaveTheBrave.org, Veterans go on fishing trips, they go on hiking trips, but more than anything, they stay together. 
Just hanging out, fishing for the afternoon. I mean, getting back together again is what makes the difference real. And it's also what's really going to make a difference in the epidemic of suicide. And that's where Army veteran Boone Cutler really wants you to make a difference. Now, if you look up livetotell.org, you'll find the incredible story of Lance Corporal Johnny Lutz. Lance Corporal Lutz fought the good fight with his PTSD, but sadly took his own life. But now his name and his life serves to inspire every generation behind him. LiveToTell.org also has an annual calendar full of events and get-togethers. Whether it's concerts or backyard barbecues, they're always ensuring that the warfighters stay connected. Surviving combat is hard. Surviving with the memories of war can be even harder. But through the work of the Kirstie Ennis Foundation, SaveTheBrave.org, and LiveToTell.org, there's a few places out there doing the work to ensure that warfighters don't just survive, but that they thrive. Supporting any of them is the best way to say thank you for your service. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.